Good morning, family. How are y'all doing? Beautiful day. Got through another storm. You know, I did a research there and said, how many times do we actually have had a tornado watch or, tor or tornado warning? We've only had seven tornadoes actually touch down in the Jefferson County in all of recorded history. And we've had two in the last week or so. Quite interesting. One was a watch, and this just yesterday was a warning, actually. Or, I mean, a watch yesterday. Prior to that was a warning. So I was like, yeah, Lord, you know, I see clouds. I get excited. I'm ready to go home. Right? Rapture is, you know, I, I'm ready to go. Some brings fear for me. It just, oh, it is joyful, you know. Hey, if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just absolutely blessed the fact you've joined us here in person and online. And if you would like to please stand, we're going to read, yes, a very long scripture this morning here at a Second Peter. So please stand. Let us read together out loud. I started with one verse, and then I said, no, I have to do the second verse. No, no, I should probably do the third verse, and it just kind of adds up. <laughs> so just follow it. That's your favorite book. Mine's Revelation. I'm glad you're here to end this book, too. Oh, okay, here we go. It's out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. And we said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption, that is, in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance to godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness for this are yours and abound you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. You may be seated. I take that, and I hope you... It's, it, up here, it's a stereo, stereo effect. I'm trying to say it. I'm hearing it in multiple stereos coming from all of you. And I, but I hope you concentrated on those words because they pertain into the teaching today as we take the next church here in chapter 3, as we start chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to read that, but let's pray. Father, we again thank you for your word this morning. And as we open up the book of Revelation, your word here, Lord, 
we know it's words unless your spirit is moving and taking your word to penetrate through the ears and the hearts of your people this morning. And as we read your word again and again and again, and we speak to you again and again, as we just surrender again and again, Lord, we just ask to be open in hearts to receive what you have for us. Teach us, mold us, shape us, Lord. Convict us, encourage us. Bring to light the things in our lives that need to change, but also bring to light the things in our lives, Lord, that we stay steadfast in because we're doing what you're calling us to do. Again, we just ask you to move in a mighty way this morning. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. As we start chapter 3, we are going to take the first six verses, and we're going to talk about the next church. This one is um, Sardis. We're going to see this here in chapter 3, verse 1, and just follow along as I read. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a, you have, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Also, before we want to get into the detail, I want to pray for Hawaii because, and pray for our brothers and sisters there in Calvary Chapel, Maui, who our God would strengthen them and encourage them to do a work for God in the type of crisis. A tremendous pain and suffering is coming across, and anyone who's catched the news can see that. And for those who have been there, you understand the devastation as well. Uh, what you saw, the beauty of, uh, of what God had created there with the natural look, uh, but now through fire has devastated. It, it is certainly a glimpse and a reminder as we go into the book of Revelation uh, during the seven-year Great Tribulation. This, what we see on TV, is nothing compared to what it will be during the time of Tribulation. We will be spared from that as a believers, but for those who do not believe, we'll go through far greater uh, turmoil and, and disaster, uh, disastrous uh, conditions. But let us pray for our brothers and sisters before we get into the word here. Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters who were on those islands and was woken up by a great surprise of great fire, great heat. Nowhere to run except into the water to escape the fire. 
the smoke, the confusion. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters, especially there in Calvary Chapel, that you would raise them up, that they're all safe and can be used as instruments of yours to minister to the people who are hurting and suffering and wondering what is, why is this happening? That you could bring them to there and bring your word to them that would comfort their souls. But more importantly, bring them to a repentance and understanding they need you, Lord Jesus, for their eternal life. To be saved. And we pray, Lord, you would just, Spirit would move in, in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' letter to the churches continues here in chapter 3. We have three more churches. We'll take one of those today, Sardis. Revelation begins with three chapters that deal with the present church age. It's the church age are only in the first three chapters, and when we get to chapter 4, everything changes, the church is gone. But the focus of these three, uh, these three chapters is on the lordship of Christ in chapter 1. We see then Jesus' letters to the churches in chapters 2 and now in chapter 3. Remember these seven churches of Asia Minor appeared as lampstands arranged in a circle we saw in chapter, uh, chapter 1. And the, this imagery suggests that one of the key purposes of the church in this church age is to shine light into the darkness of this world. That wherever the churches God plants and his church is doing God's work, be a light into this dark world that we live in. Jesus is pictured there in chapter 1 standing in the middle of the lampstands as the Lord of the church and walking among these lampstands as the one who sees and knows everything that is happening in and to the churches. And Christ is the center. He is the head of every single church. Not man, but Christ. And the seven churches are significant for two main reasons. First, they had a practical meaning for the original seven churches that we've been speaking to. These letters were to real churches at real times in a real place there on the western side of Turkey. And these churches have different shapes and sizes, and each one had its own unique set of strengths and weaknesses of each of these churches. Each reside in a different location and has had its own blend of people that God brings within each of those congregations. But God does that work. For his purpose, for his glory, it's his body. And each of us have a bit different parts of the members of that of that body and so whatever you may be you may be that little pinky but you might be the big toe whatever it is that God is bringing you to that congregation is for a purpose to bring glory to him not to you and not to anyone else we just have to be faithful and come and do what God's called us to do and sometimes when you first come into this whole church church kind of scene and you're like first time coming to church or I've been around churches but they're all been kind of weird and different let me let you settle here today. Just come and just keep your mind on Jesus and not of this building and not of the, of the organization, but of Jesus because he is the head of this church. And the church is you, believers coming together. We are the church. 
Are you with me? And so when you get those things settled and you realize that God here, Jesus, is literally giving the Apostle John verbatim, word for word, what to write down. This is what we've been, we're just read and we're studying. This is Jesus' words given to Apostle John directly. And by the power of the Spirit of God, writing these down for us, not, but not originally, but originally to the churches there in Asia Minor. So that's the practical part. That's the original seven. These are the yeah, seven means completeness and, and, and fullness. That means these seven churches represents all the churches of history. Falls in one of these seven categories or these seven types of churches. From then, from the original and still today. The same was true about the churches in the first century, which is why Jesus' message to each one was different. Each letter was directed to the needs and the problems that existed in each congregation. The second reason is the seven churches have a perpetual, perpetual meaning that if they are they're representatives of all the different kinds of churches that will be present during the church age, which we've been studying and talking about. And it's these seven churches represents the totality, the completeness of the basic kinds of churches that will always be present until the end of the church age. Jesus' letters are very important for us. Without doubt, this, these letters gives us the greatest insights into what Christ values in his church and what he considers vile. You want to know what a church should look like? Study the word of God and make sure our church lines up with the word of God. And if it doesn't, that's why we're very careful. If we don't see it in the scripture and it played out in Acts and then when this church began and played out in the, in the epistles, if we don't see it, we don't, no touchy here. I don't care what other churches are doing. I don't care all these other things that are happening in the trends. It doesn't matter to me and to us here. We want to be right with God and doing what God is showing to be the right way to do it. We don't want the world to come into the, the church to influence us and take us away from the word of God. We want the word to be in us so we can go out and affect the world. And finally, these seven churches provide models to which we can compare our churches and answer the question, what does Christ think about our church? You might be just now reading it for the first time. I've been studying it all week long. You can imagine, just, oh Lord, is this us? I mean, of all these churches, I, 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 we're going to be talking about the dead church. I, Lord, please show me that we are not a dead church. That we're about your business. We're about doing only what glorifies you and, and praises you. And we're staying and sticking with the word of God. So what does Christ think about our church? And what, does, and what is your spiritual condition today? You individually, because you make up the church. What is your spiritual condition? Are you the dead church that we're going to be talking about today? Are you dead spiritually? An apathy is poured into your life now that is almost like you could take it or leave it kind of mentality. And we will see that and see what the Spirit of God is going to show you today. 
So here in verse chapter 3, verse 1, in the very each of these churches has seven elements that we talk about, except for this one because it's very different. Why? Because right in the very beginning, he talks about the character of the city of Sardis. It says, it's into the angel of the church of Sardis, to the pastor there, that leader that I'm giving this, church, this letter to for you to read to the congregation. What are you saying here? See, at this time, Jesus was speaking these words to John, the ancient city of Sardis, had, been, had seen the best of their days. Historically, we know that it was an incredible city, very wealthy city. They had everything going for them. They had military strength and protection for that city. It was built on a cliff very high. It was unscalable in those days to climb up these, these, these massive rock formations. There's nothing easy to get up. So it was very easy to protect the city, they thought. But we know historically twice, we see that, 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 that they couldn't protect him from the Persian king of Cyrus. And, and in 549 BC, we see that these cliffs they thought were so impenetrable that we find that they slept at night. They didn't have to watch the enemy during the night because there's no way they can climb these and get into the city. But they figured it out. And we see historically they did penetrate that city and took over that city, not just once, but later on and historically as well, because they passively thought, no big deal, we'll be fine. It, we're good the way we are. We don't need to be on guard. We have no one's ever taken un, and come against us. We're, we're just, we've got a good life here. And it's that mentality, that passiveness mentality, that resulted in being conquered. But we see this city, Sardis, 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. And it's this place that was full of money and all the delicacies of that had to offer in that period of time. Sardis was the capital city of Lydia and situated in the east bank of the Pictolius River, which is 50 miles east of Smyrna. And it was this place that had this special kind of, this river that ran down through there, but it had this um, special stones that were coming out more, it looked like gold and silver kinds of things. And, and it's this place that created the very first money out of that material, that those stones that came out of that river that looked like gold and silver. They had wealth, they had everything going for them, but then they declined as a city. They, took, they, they just thought everything was just going to be fine. Everything was going to continue as is. Just stay the, stay the course on these things. But what happened is they, they were worshiping. Their main worship idol was the mother goddess, uh, Sibel. And this is that, per, that this place, this, this fortress at 60 feet high, more than 6 feet wide, diameter column. That is one of those massive things that they all gathered to do in regards to worshiping false gods. But that false god led them into a worshiping of all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity. And because of their walking away and walking in luxury and walking in softness and walking in apathy, walking in immorality, living for the world, the world that they were creating, those great characteristics of this city was, became very, very dark. That darkness crept into the church of Sardis. 
And now this church once was vibrant and doing God's work has now become just like their culture, their city, and now going back away from the things of God. Literally walking back from the things of God. Take it or leave it kind of. We're just doing fine. We're great. We have a great lifestyle here. We live our life, we get to do the things we do, we're eating and drinking, and we're just being merry. You know, we're just having a great time. This is the city. They had everything going for them. But notice here, Jesus brings to light the characteristics of himself in the church of Sardis here. Remember, each of the churches, he brings to light certain elements from chapter 1 of his description. Here in this, in this verse, verse uh, the 1b here, uh, in the middle of verse 1, is these things says he who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So Jesus describes himself, he used terms that emphasize his character to this church. Remember, I'm the seven spirits of God, the seven, seven stars here. Remember, the, 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 the repetition of seven, meaning that the, the number of completeness. I am complete. I am the fullness. Jesus holds the fullness of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the church. That is who I am, and that's who I'm writing to you about. This is what I have for you. I am the fullness. Why, why would you turn to anyone else but me, the fullness of of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God in your life. Why would you turn any other direction? Look to anybody else for, for, to complete your life. To look to anything or anyone else to, to fill that emptiness that may, you may be feeling within your, in your life. Or the loneliness or the, the identity. What, who is my, what's my identity in my life? What's my purpose in life? We must understand Jesus is the fullness of that. It's that relationship that will fill that void and emptiness and loneliness in your life. There is no other. And that's what he's saying to them. Why would you go to the luxuries of this world and, and the gold and the silver and the money and all of the things that the, this world, this city Sardis is offering you and it's causing you to walk away from the fullness and the, the master, the, the Lord of Christ that you've given your life to as your Lord and Savior. Why would you do that? Jesus has the fullness of the Holy Spirit in himself. And he has the Holy Spirit and the fullness to give to the church. We see this again back in Revelation 1.4 in that definition. There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. 228 of those verses are direct references from the Old Testament. And so this is something not new. This is something they were learning if they were Jewish. They were learning through the Old Testament of the characteristics and the, the truths about God. The whole, it's, it's, this is nothing new. This is something that God is now bringing to, at the very end of the church age, he's bringing it to full fruition to let them know there is no other person to follow than Jesus Christ. Didn't ask you to follow a religion. I didn't ask you to follow an organization. I didn't follow, ask you to follow some guru or some false prophet or anything. I'm saying stay focused on me. The end is coming near. 
And this was the first century church. This is when the church started coming up. They started well, but they quickly declined. Why? Because they had a passion for Christ and living for Christ and serving Christ in their life and in the communities and around. And then they said, no, they walked back into the world and they became a dead church. There was no power. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was no longer working within that church. They left the person of the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot leave the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you as a believer. That you do not want to grieve the Spirit because if the Spirit is grieved, then there's no power for you to be and do what God's called you to do for Him. How do you have the Spirit grieve? Because you go back into the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what we don't want. And when you do it individually and collectively as a church body, the church as a whole becomes a dead church. We can't have that. Jesus is warning them. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, he says, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And through these letters, when Jesus speaks to the angels of the seven churches, to pastors of these churches, he speaks not to one individual, but to the entire church through that individual. He's saying to that pastor, you better make sure you communicate this effectively to all those in your church. They need to hear this truth because this is what's happening. I see all things. I know. He says right there at the end of verse 3, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. He says, I know everyone in the community says you have a name. You have a reputation of your past. It's there. You live for God. Everyone knew you were the church. It's located on this street, on that corner, right around from the temple. Everyone was going and walking away from the temple and going to that church. Everything was booming for Christ. Everyone in the church was going out and just evangelizing and people were coming to Christ and everywhere you turned. You have a great reputation. But notice, they say you're alive. That means, he says, I see you doing lots of busy things over there. Busy, 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 busy. Got lots of things going on. Doing the bake sales, you're doing the clothes exchanges, you're doing this, you're doing whatever it may. Program after program after program. Got it, got it, got it. You got the programs. And you promote your programs. Everyone says you're alive. You're a very busy place, a busy church. And Jesus sees that because he sees every church. Doesn't matter the size of the church. He sees every church, every body of believers coming together. He sees what is happening. Nothing is hidden from Jesus. Nothing. Jesus knew that the church of Sardis had a name, a reputation, life, busyness. And if you looked at that church of Sardis, you would think there's a signs of life and activities. This must be an incredible church to go to. Because we have lots of stuff to do. But notice at the very end of verse 1. But you're dead. You have a reputation of being alive, a lot of activities going on in that church. But you're dead. 
The Spirit is not moving and lives are not changing in that church. When it's a dead church, lives are not changing for Christ. People's lives are not. Why? Because they were busy about doing everything so perfect, potentially, and everything pleasing the people to try to get them into the church. And they've got the music, and they've got the smoke going, the lights going, they, whatever they have. I'm telling them, they're everything going. Because that's what they think was drawing the people. But no lives were changing for Christ. Even the person who's been saved for 20 years, let's say. They were on fire for Christ 20 years ago. You couldn't keep them quiet every time they talked to their neighbor or to their workplace or to their family, friends. Anyone who did not know Christ, they were telling them about their relationship with Christ. It was, you couldn't stop them. But after 20 years, let's say, 10 years, 5 years, 2 years, 2 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. You don't even hear anything coming out of their mouth about their relationship with Christ. That is not a good sign. But I know your schedule. I know your schedule, Billy. You're there at church five days a week doing all kinds of busy things, but you don't ever talk about or share anything about your life with Jesus. Everyone says you're alive. But it appears to be dead. The church appears to be alive and busy. But there's no movement of the Holy Spirit doing. You're just busy about doing things, but it's not the things that God wants you to do. One of the things we do here at Calvary Chapel is we do not create programs. We don't pick a program off the shelf and say, let's plug it in and see if this is going to work to get more people to come. Why? Because Acts 2.47 tells me that he adds to the church daily. How does he add the church daily? He touches the hearts of people. How does he touch the hearts of people? With people who are on fire for Christ, they go out and tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. So if you're being fed and you're alive and you're not only just being busy coming to church three or four or five times a week or one time a week or whatever it may be, it's not just coming to church. You actually go out and share your faith and what God's doing in your life and being transformed by the reading and understanding of the word of God. And people look at your life and say, how do you have that marriage that we want because of Christ? How did you seem to be so steady when everything's coming and the bullets are flying over you here in the war and you seem to have peace and, and you seem to be steady about that because of Christ? I mean, you give glory to who is your Savior. You don't hide it under a basket. Your light shines. Because what happens is they got so good at this and a reputation of so busy, but now Jesus is saying, this is not good. You're dead. Despite your reputation, just despite their good appearance on the inside and outside, it, 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 Jesus says, you're dead. The church of Sardis teaches us not to mistaken religious activity with true spiritual life. Religious activity 
and spiritual, true spiritual life in your life is two different things. They should line up. Whatever you're doing for Christ in church uh, you know, activities should be to bring glory to Christ and a transforming lives. If it's not, Examine your life. Examine. We need to examine our church. We have to examine. And I do. I, Lord, make sure we do not line up with this church at all. Let this not be us. That you are, uh, we as a church body, we are doing what you call us to do by your spirit moving. Not through programs. Not through gimmicks. Not through all kinds of things. No, Lord says, this is what I want you to do, and it's going to take faith. And we come and we pray and we seek the Lord. This is the Lord. This is lining up. Then we take a step of faith and we do it. If we start taking a step and it doesn't seem that the Lord's in it, we immediately acknowledge that the Lord is not in this. Take a step and go back to where we were. And regroup and wait until he gives us other further orders of what we need to do next. That's what we should do in our lives as well. And our families. In every aspect of your life. Especially here in the church. church. And so what happens is he's saying, why is this church dead? It's because the church is not dependent upon the person of the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus in the midst of the church. They're present. They're relying on programs. They're relying on their own understanding and their own gimmicks and ways and worldly ways you're bringing in from the world into the church. You're bringing these things in. And that is what's causing the problem within the church. They're starting to blend and look like the world. That's not what we want to do. And this deadness means, it indicates us no struggle, no fight, no persecution. There wasn't the church at Sardis was losing the battle. They were already lost the battle. They were dead. Nothing was happening. And if, fight, if there's no fight, there's no, there's no focus, there's no purpose, and you're just kind of coming and going through the routine, that is not what we want as a church body. In this letter, Jesus didn't encourage the Christians in Sardis to stand strong against persecution or false doctrine or any of these things. He didn't have to say be strong because the enemy's after you. Be strong because of the influences of uh, false teaching. Be strong. None of that has happened. Why? Because they're already dead. Satan doesn't have to attack the church if it's dead because they're not doing anything for God. Are you with me? There's no persecution. Satan's not going to mess with you and persecute you and do any of those things if you're doing nothing for him right now. You're already dead. So Satan doesn't have to touch you. It's only when you're alive and going and doing for God and when you're doing the purpose of God, that is when you see the persecution coming against you. Matthew 23, 27 says that the church was like a whitewashed tombs, which indeed appeared beautiful on the outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. That's the description of Sardis. They look really good Christians, but inside they were just filthy. Note, Jesus does not give Sardis any accommodations. He does not praise them for anything. Nothing. 
The only church of the seven that does not get any positive, really. Verse 2 through 4. He Now Jesus wants the church to do this. And I love this part because some people say, well, the church is dead, give it up. No, 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 no. That individual may appear to be dead to Christ. They're like, no, there's nothing like really moving in their lives, but God doesn't give up on that person. Are you with me? You may feel dead spiritually right now, but God hasn't given up on you. That's why you're here. He's giving you another opportunity to give, repent and give your life over to Christ. So it's, it's not too late. The church, he, he's, now, he's now given up on this church. Notice right here, he says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. There are some little things remaining here. Doesn't say what those things are, but there's few things that are remaining and that are ready to die. They're about to die. That little things that are left in that church that have any glimpse of hope here, they're about to die off as well. He says, take those things, strengthen, be watchful, for I have not found your works perfect before God. So there's, don't, don't be praising that you're doing something for God. He's saying you're doing nothing that is perfect for God here. You're, you're really in tough shape. But there's a little glimmer of hope here. Pump some life here. Let this grow. Let's just develop here. Remember, therefore, verse 3, therefore how you have received. Now, this is, the, this is the, 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 the steps he wants them to take. Remember, remember this, the few things that are just about to die off. Therefore, how you have received and heard. He says, do you remember? Do you have that glimpse of, of your thoughts when you first got saved? When you were just on fire in the church and you were just doing the things that God was leading you to do and just serving God and, and, and reaching the lost and encouraging those in the faith. You remember those days. It's making it been a, been a while for you. But do you remember as a church body, do we remember those days, right? He says, receive them and heard them, hold fast and repent. Repent where you have gone astray and then hold fast to those things you remember. Come back to what you remember. Receive it, what you've heard. You used to, when you first got saved, you couldn't put the Bible down. You couldn't wait until the next time the, the word was being taught because you were gobbling up. You couldn't wait to listen to the, the Bible teaching on the radio and you were trying to gobble that up. Every, every, every opportunity, you were learning, you were growing, you were exciting, you were sharing with other people about that. What happened to that? What happened to that? Jesus is saying, Receive it. Heard it. Go back to what you receive in hearing the word of God. It's true. And hold fast and repent where you're pushing back. Therefore, if you will not watch. Speaking to Sardis. Remember, they're not watching. They're, I think they're just totally fine living in their little uh, beautiful stone castle kind of a deal. No one's going to mess with you. No one, no spiritual warfare. No enemy coming against me. I get to live my life however I want. Everything's going really good in my life. No, he says, if you're not willing to watch... I will come upon you as a thief. I'm going to be coming upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now that phrase, as a thief, if you see in the scripture, it is it mentioned always and only in pretense of context of Jesus' return of the rapture and taking us out of here. Only that phrase. He says, if you're not watching, if you're not going to come to, if you're not looking, I'm coming in. And it's going, to, it's going to take you surprise. Remember, you're sitting there, you're sleeping, and you think everything's fine. And here the enemy's climbing up this mountain and it's going to take over the city. And you weren't watching. 
like a thief coming in and, 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 and taking it. You're going to feel it's so unsettled. If, if all of a sudden you came home to your house and you see a light moving on in your house and you know there's no one in that house, and you walk in and everything is completely disheveled and everything is a mess in order, how would that make you feel? Insecure. Violated. The, the words probably can't even describe the insecurity of, of uneasiness of what it would be like. He's saying, if you're not willing to watch for my return, if you're not willing to, to hold fast and repent and go back to when you were received and when you heard the word and you were growing, if you don't hold on to these, these few things, these little, and these little things there, and they're about to die off, you're not being watchful and ready in your life and get right with it, you'll be just like a thief coming in and you didn't even know what happened. Because we always think we... We have more time. We always think, we'll, we'll get my life right tomorrow. Because I got plans tonight. <laughs> it's Friday night. I got plans tonight. So tomorrow we'll talk about it. You've been bewitched because you have no guarantee for tomorrow. It's the enemy tricking you. Be right every day walking with Christ because you don't know when his return will be. It keeps us very sober, very focused, and priorities in line with what God says when you really believe that he will come back and rapture us out here. He'll come back and take the church out like a thief in the night in a twinkling of an eye. So he sits here and he, he kind of gives this, he wants the church to refocus. Why? Because you have, in verse 4, you have a few names, even in Sardis. Even I love this. You have a few names. There's a few people in that church who have not defiled their garments. They have not got back into the world and got dirty and muddied up with the world. They're staying clean. They're staying very focused with Christ and living for Christ and a passion for Christ and, and wanted to share Christ. And they're holding on tight within that church. And I take it they're there for the right purpose, the right reason. It's not because they built the church building and I'm not leaving this building. I don't care how dead it is. This is my building. I've been here for 40 years. You know I bought those chairs. If I'm going to leave, I'm going to take my chair with me. It used to be pews. That was more difficult to take. Now you can take your chair. No. You don't come to a building because you've been you've somehow paid or bought or you, you've cleaned these floors more times. This is my building. I'm not leaving this building. When Christ leaves and you stay, you think you're going to be good with that? No. We want Christ to come in and through his people. Gathering, regardless if we're in a building or outside, on a dirt floor, we're coming 
to worship our God Almighty who sustains and gives us eternal life. Oh, if you can only go past what you're living today and see the eternal life that God is more important thinking about. Eternal life. That's what you're talking about today. That's what he's encouraging them here today. He says, if you're not going to willing to repent, you're not willing to hold fast, you're not willing to watch and, and return, if you're not willing to do this and restore the gospel the, and the, the apostolic doctrine to the authority of the, in our lives because of Christ, then you're going to have problems because in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the kind of reception of the word that we see here says, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men but as it is it, it as it is in the truth the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe it's go back and study first Thessalonians 2 13 today because when you take a look at that you at one point believed that the word of God was from the word it was from God and it mean every word is for you and me to do a work in us to change our lives to and empower us to do what God's called us to do and it's a beautiful thing but over time you started walking away from the word of God like it, you could take it or leave it it didn't matter it, well, I guess I used to believe it was the word of God now I think maybe man had a little bit into it and you get into this weird squirrely mindset because you've been working out there and listening to all kinds of false teachers and prophets because they tickled your ear and it's caused confusion in your life stop all of that Come back and just simply, word, as he says, come simply back and receive and hear the word of God and hold fast to it and repent when God convicts you of, your, of the sins in your life and really willing to change for God. Because it is the truth. The world is pouring out falsehood everywhere, twisting everything of God. And if you don't know the word of God to keep you grounded, you're going to get mixed up with the world. You went from, I know what the word of God says, and marriage is between a man and a woman. One man, one woman, period. I believe it. I know it. I read it. I see it. He created it. He, he brought marriage together. This is good and right. It's natural. Everything lines up. You were passionate about it. And you were a 15-year-old, and you're years away from being married, but you understood it. A five-year-old understands it. But when you become a dead person or a dead church, the church then believes, I don't believe that, but it's acceptable for others. It's okay for others. It's just not for me. Well, you know, it's today's day. That was back then. It's really very, 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 very old-fashioned. In, in, in today's world, we have to think differently. You are in the dead zone. Okay? I'm going to call it out as nicely and as gently as I can. You're in the dead zone. You are. Because you're going and you've been deceived and you've walked away from the truths of God. Or you're just not saved at all. And if that is, God has brought you here so you can repent, get saved, repent, and come back 
Don't live the cardinal life any longer. And become alive again. Live for Christ. That's how simple, that's what happened to this church. They went from having these beautiful garments, these beautiful white garments, this beautiful array. Things were just beautiful in regards to the wrapping of the righteousness of God around them. He says, you have a few names in Sardis who had not defiled their garments. Now you're all dirtied up. Even among the dead Christians in Sardis, there was a faithful remnant. There was just a few in that church still hanging in there. But only a few names. In Pergamos, if you remember, in Thyatira, there were a few bad in among the people. Here, it was complete opposite. There's only a few good hanging in there. That's how far this church has gone. Jesus referred to the defiled garments because in the, in the heathen worship of that day, the pagan gods could not be, be approached with dirty clothes. The analogy works for the worship of Jesus because he gives his people white garments. We'll get white garments when we get up to heaven. We're going to return with white garments. It's going to be beautiful. I, I pondered on this, and it was really fascinating as I, I came across, and just thinking about Adam, right? He's in the Garden of Eden. He was literally clothed with the, the light and the glory of God. That it, when you, it was just perfect. And then when his sin happened, what happened? All of a sudden, he recognized he was naked and ashamed. Why? Because when his sin came, that clothing, that, enlight, that enlightenment that covered him was lifted off and he could see the nakedness and the shame. When you and I get saved, we have been wrapped, clothed in his righteousness. And when we literally get to heaven, and when we return to rule and reign with him on this earth, we're going to be wrapped into that light, that, that glory, however that is going to be. I just know that the garments are white as can be, and we'll be like the fact that when Jesus was raising up, remember they looked at his glory, they couldn't even handle how beautiful and glory it was. What is that light going to be like? That's going to clothe you. You're not going to be in filthy rags anymore. You're not going to have a stench about you anymore. You're going to be as white as what? Snow. And we're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to be talking with Jesus. Jesus almost promised that this, these pure ones, these ones, these few that are holding on and would walk with him. It's a picture of close fellowship, friendship, just like Enoch. When Enoch was said in uh, Genesis 5, 24, walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He was raptured out of there. He didn't even die in that body. He was raptured out. That will be you and I, we pray. Let me boil this down to even simpler. They used to want and desired and was very, 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 as a church, interested in the things of God. When you become a dead church and when you go down that slippery slope, you go from, I'm really excited and interested about the things of God, to, eh. Let's talk about Hollywood instead. 
Let's talk about health and wealth instead. Let's talk about the things of God, the interests of God have started sliding down and you're almost like, let's not talk about the things of God. I'm not really, I don't want to get around people who even talk about the things of God. That is showing that we're becoming dead. That's not where we want to be, individually and as a church as a whole. We want to talk about the things of God, amen? We want the Spirit of God to stay alive and so strong in our lives, it's transforming in our lives. The promise that we have is the Word of God will transform your minds. So for you that might have a squirrely mind going on and you're not sure what's going on, get into the Word of God and watch the Spirit of God transform that squirrely mind of yours. That was exciting, is it not? Verse 5. And he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. If you overcome, he's saying, overcomers, there's, there's hope here. There's hope. You, you, you don't have to give up. You, even though you think you're dead, you, you, you're not dead, dead, dead. You have hope if you were willing to repent, willing to come back. Let, read the word of God. Come back to the word of God. Be obedient to the word of God. He says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, this is a fun topic. Because here you are, if you overcome, believers who are overcoming, they're following Christ, they're loving Christ, they're interested in Christ, doing the things for Christ, just living and identifying as a Christian. Christian means Christ-likeness. Being that, you, it's not just naming, you live it. He says, you're going to be clothed in white garment. It's a promise. This is a guarantee for you. You don't have to be concerned and worried about your salvation. You are walking with Christ. It's a good thing. But if you don't, I will blot. I will, he says, I will not blot out that, his name from the book of life. It's a double negative in the English word here, which means it's a guarantee. I am not going to take your name out of the book. There's no way. He's not up there with an eraser looking at your life and going, Ooh, Corey, you really messed up today. Let me start erasing your name from the book of life. Oh, good job, Corey. The next day you actually did what I asked you to do. Let me write your name back in. Oh, Corey, I thought I know that thought you had. Can remember, I know all your thoughts. That 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 anger is not going to be tolerated. Mm, let me erase your name today. The enemy may want to tell you that, but that is not how God works. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Scripture is clear that true believer is. Kept secure by the power of God, sealed for the day of redemption. We see that in Ephesians 4.30. And of all of those who the Father has given to the Son, he will not lose one of them. John 6.39. That's you. The Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave has given them to me. It's greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. We see that John chapter 10, verse 28 through 29. Why? Because salvation is God's work. 
Salvation is God's work, not ours. We see that in Titus 3.5. It's his power that keeps us. That's why we have security in our salvation as a believer. Some people see Revelation 3.5 and that picture of God's eraser coming and going and striking out and adding the church and Christians coming and going out because of their sins and their, their weaknesses at times. No, no. These words here in Revelation 3.5, Jesus is giving a promise here, not a warning. You're secure in Christ as an overcomer. And you must hold on to that truth. But the question people all many times ask is, what is the book of life? <laughs> let, me, let me give you the best I can here. What I lean and what I hold to for many, 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 many years. Some believe the book of life are two books. The book of life and the Lamb's book of life. I have a tendency to hold to one book of life. And what is that book of life? God created all of us. He created him in heaven, us in heaven, and then birthed us, brought us into this life here. Everyone who he created, I believe, is in the book of life. Everyone. And through that period of time, he knows as he reveals himself during this life for you to give your life to him and you have to make that choice by faith, to put your trust in him, Jesus Christ, for what he did for you on that cross. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, for forgiveness of all your sins, when you repent and you ask for Jesus to come in, the blood of the Lamb, the perfect sacrifice, covered you, cleansed you, and made you white as Snow. Your name is now sealed in the Lamb's book of life. Now people say, well, that sounds like two books. Okay, if you want to see it that way. I see it as, as we go through this life, when you are, about, when you are ready to leave this earth, when God says, okay, you're done you're living here, the question is, if you did not know Jesus Christ on this side of the grave, as you part, your name is taken out of the book of life. That's how I see it. Very simple for me. He gives you an opportunity to repent and come to Christ and to have your name in that book of life and ultimately the Lamb's book of life because in the scripture, in the book of life, we see names being blotted out. There's five different scriptures of talking about that. I'll give you the first one. When, when Exodus 32, 32, when Moses was talking to the Lord and he was trying to basically negotiate with God to help him for the God's people, he says, if you will forgive their sins, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. He understood it when Moses understood there was a book. God keeps account of everything we say and do and think. He has a book on you. Everything. Well, hold on, that thought, because I'm going to tell you why. The second one is out of Exodus 32, 33, the next verse. And he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Made it clear. 
Psalm 69, 28. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Then we have, of course, Revelation 3, 5. But then we get into Revelation twenty two nineteen. It says, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. It's not until we get to Revelation 21, 27, prior to that statement, because in Revelation 3, 5, he's talking about overcomers and the believers. You are secure. You're not going to be taken out of the book. But in Revelation 22, 19, he's talking to non-believers. You're trying to manipulate my word to add and delete it to justify your lifestyle, and that is exactly what we see today. People are adding and deleting and accepting and not accepting the word of God so that they can fit their lifestyle with this world and this twisted life that they've created going against God to justify that, yes, I'm still a Christian and can still live contrary to the word of God. I'll just change the word of God. You don't think Satan is in all of that? Look at what's going on in the AI talk today. They're literally going to have the AI take all of the religious writings out there and create a new Bible, a new holy scripture for people to will be mandatory to follow in those times, in the great tribulation. We won't be here as a believer. If you're not a believer and you're not going to accept Jesus Christ, then you will experience and watch this all play out and it will be horrible. So you see these things, watch out, because they're coming in real life. I mean, we're talking for, for you know, H, high definition right in front of you, what's going on. But there in Revelation 21, 26, it says, But there shall be no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, You've been saved. You've been cleansed by the Lamb, the Jesus' blood. You are sealed for eternity. So I lean to that direction. You may go back and work with that with the God and say, "No, no, I see two books. I don't even know what about a book." And how, can you come? I just wanted you to settle on this. If you've overcome and are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have security. Keep it simple. I have five and six-year-olds that understand that. They don't complicate it. But if you think you can live like the world, act like the world, and habitually just go keep living like the world and think you're going to be okay because someone else is a Christian in your family or you go to church occasionally, don't be bewitched. Don't be deceived. But it's not too late. You're still breathing and you're here. Repent today. Give your life to Christ. And have that assurity that your name will not be taken out of the book of... Will not be out of the book. But be solidified in the Lamb's book of life for eternity. I love that assurity. And because of that assurity, I can live my life with joy and peace and all kinds of junk can come after me. And maybe great persecution can be coming my direction. But I know when I'm absent from this body, I will be what? In the presence of my Lord. Nothing can touch me. No weapon can be formed against me. 
Do you want that assurance? Do you have that assurance, my brothers and sisters? Because is your name? Never does the scripture ever, ever, ever say you are in the Lamb's book of life and they can get blotted out. Not anywhere in the scripture. So don't let the enemy condemn you because you've slipped up and messed up. Repent and come back. Lastly here, verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh, remember, God, Jesus is speaking to the churches. Speaking to, they're plural. To those who have an ear that want to listen, the desire to listen to this truth. Ah, listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us as a church body. And he says he wants us to not just to do busy things. He wants us to do the things that he's asking us to do. That means that we have to keep asking and talking to him and praying and seeking him and fasting and praying to see, Lord, what do you want us to do for your kingdom and for your purpose? And individually, how do I go out and reach the lost? And how do I encourage my brothers and sisters of the faith? And again, coming back to the fellowship the fellowship is so important because we're going to be encouraged by one another to be equipped and ready to go back out to reach the, this dark world. Because time is short. And we must hear the Spirit as the Spirit says to the church here in Sardis. It is easy to drift into the sleepy apathy towards spiritual death. It's so subtle, but it can happen. Yes, you have a good past reputation. You used to do these things that I asked you to do, but you stopped and you substituted with things that I didn't ask you to do. I didn't ask you to become a social club. I didn't, I didn't ask you to be an entertainment center. I didn't ask you to be anything other than my children that come to worship me. That is what I called you to do when you gather together is to worship me. To glorify me. And to lift my, my name on high, he says. But in that process, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to your life. He knows your life and he knows what you need better than you do. And he knows the greatest way to help solve those problems in your life. Better than you. Better than the gurus out there. Better than any talking head. Better than any professional. God knows what's best for his children. Amen? Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for, the, for your grace and your mercy upon us. You show us mercy every day when we wake up. You, you woke us up. You allowed us to have another day to worship you and to serve you with our lives. To be a light for you, salt for you in this world. And as we see this world getting darker and darker and darker and darker and twisted, we become 
Very big targets, but big lights in a dark world. But we do not fear those things. You ask us not to fear. Be afraid of not. Because you've got us. You have us in your hand. And you will strengthen us and encourage us. I pray, Lord, for every single person here and those listening. They will choose. They will choose you. Each and every day to live for you and to glorify you. And I pray, if there's anyone right here today that has not given their life to Jesus Christ, or you've, you're, the dead, you're the dead guy that God was talking about, and you want to repent and come back to him, today's the day when eyes are closed, heads are bowed, Raise your hand. I don't want to call you out. I'm just going to see who God is touching. If you want to get saved, you want that eternal life, that guarantee, that being clothed in that white garment, be in the security of Christ, be in the, the Lamb book of life, be in that book of life. If that's speaking of you, if God, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Make sure your hand's high enough so I can see who God is speaking to to get saved today. Or repent and come back. Who's the Lord speaking to you today? Online, if someone's listening online, let us know. We want to send you some information. If God is speaking to you and you're raising your hand in your home right now. But here in this place, who is God speaking to that you want to give your life to Jesus and be set free? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, of moving in our hearts and our lives and our minds right now, Lord. May this not be for just a moment, but may we dwell and meditate on the things you taught us from your word today in the hours and the days to come. Just use it, Lord, in our lives, but also use this truth to help others that would come across our paths in the days to come, that we can share your truth from your word that you have given to us that we've partaked of today. Mold us and shape us, Lord. Strengthen us in these dark days we find ourselves in. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Please.